Welcome to episode 77 of the Atlas Podcast. My name is Emma Loggins, editor-in-chief at Campbell.com. And I'm Matt Rodriguez, the owner-in-chief editor of ShakeFire.com. And I'm Mike from LastOneToLeaveTheater.com and ATLCW.TV. And because I haven't had lunch yet, I want to start talking by about Taste of Atlanta last week, so you can make me <laughs> even more hungry than I already am. Um, mm. But how did how did the event go? So yeah, um, I went to Taste of Atlanta this past weekend, and um, it was an interesting event, I will say the least. Um, so the main thing that set this year apart from all the other years is that they moved venues. Um, it used to be they would do it in downtown Atlanta over by Georgia Tech, um, basically 5th and Spring Street. They would basically block off that entire intersection, and that whole block would just be vendors, and then they used the 5th Street Bridge as the VIP area. And so this year they went a little different route, and they did it in the uh, historic Old Fourth Ward Park. Um, It's a little further away from downtown Atlanta. But... um, what I liked about it was that it was a lot more green space. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's a nice park. And um, they basically had the tents set up all along the park and, like, all in the middle area was just, you know, they had some chairs and, you know, it was all this green space so you can just relax and, you know, eat your food and stuff like that. So that was really nice. And the weather was amazing. So that was really cool. But, um... Yeah, I was like, where's the butt? I feel like there's a butt but, coming. <laughs> so the way they have it set up, it was basically historic Fourth Ward Park. It's like a long park. It's not like, it's more of an oval, a long oval than like a circle or something like that. And so where the v, where they put the VIP tent was all the way at the end. And it's like half a mile. Like we had to walk like half a mile. I actually figured out the distance to get to the VIP tent. Where like where they had you know different vendors and uh, they had the the beer and wine tastings and all that kind of stuff and so and it's not like it's not like everything's filled either there's like a good chunk where there's just you know just part of the park like you're walking through the park and there's like nothing around you you're like Are, am I going the right direction and stuff and so that was really out of the way. Because, like, once, once we got there, we were like, okay, we're basically going to stay here. Like, we're not going to leave this VIP area because we don't want to walk back <laughs> to the north. Yeah. And another thing that they did that they changed for this year was that last year, the restaurants in the VIP area, that was all included with the, the VIP basically tasting. So, like, you could taste the rest, all the restaurants in there without having to use your points. Mm-hmm. And so, like, last year I struggled to um, to get rid of my 20 points on my card because I spent most of my time in the VIP area. And so I was right. tasting all those things and then every every once in a while. And that was for the whole weekend. But um, this year they changed it so that basically the VIP area was pretty much just the same, just different restaurants. So they had the, the three, two, and one point system for the VIP area as well. And so right. points went way faster. But, um, but yeah, I still enjoyed it. Um, I think one of my favorites was from um, Public School, 404 Restaurant. 
I really like that place. It's uh, it's brand. Well, it's been open for a couple of months over in West Midtown, but it's really good, and the interior is yeah. awesome. Yeah, I had a uh, there was a chorizo mac and cheese that they were serving that was really good. Yep, I've had that. Yep. <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's delicious. Yeah, that was really good. Um, what I liked about that. It's probably one of the few things that you ate that I would like. <laughs> no, Prob- probably. Maybe. But um, yeah, it was like um, and it was the, like the whole chorizo and not like the the crumbles that you usually see in in those kind of dishes, which I thought was really good. But um, I also had you know um, five church which was my favorite last year that I had uh, grilled octopus from last year. Um, they had lamb nice. burgers, lamb sliders, which were really good. There were a lot of places that were doing, you know, like the lambs, the, the, the mini burgers and sliders. So you'd be right at home, Emma. I would be. Do any of them have the Hawaiian bread? That's the real, the real question. No, <laughs> important yeah, question. Because that makes a slider if it's that sweet Hawaiian bread. No, I so mean, good. no, it wasn't. No. Most of them were, like, um, their own kind of little mini buns. Well, uh, but it goals was, for them for next yeah. year. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was that was really good. And then I also had this um, tostada. I forget where it was from exactly. Um, I can go back and check at some point. Because the okay. cool thing about the wristbands is that it, you know, it tracks your points, but it, like, tracks every restaurant you go to and like what you order and stuff like that so like if you forget because i mean if you're ordering a ton of stuff throughout the weekend yeah you'll they'll all start to blend in so like you can go online and see okay i went here and here and stuff so that's really cool that's cool yeah yeah. that's a cool technology angle to it yeah but um it was a good event you know still i still had a good time it was still a lot of fun it's just I do miss the old ways. <laughs> yeah. So it's I mean, funny. It... It's funny because um, one of the photos popped up on my Facebook feed and like the memories thing today of when I was a judge a few years ago when it was over still in like the the Fifth Street area, and I was like, oh, I miss doing that. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, and they still it, it had all cool. like the tents and the big you know stage stuff. But I mean, like, yeah, like I, I didn't really experience the the main taste of Atlanta stuff that often because it was either I was walking to the VIP tent or walking from the VIP tent. <laughs> <laughs> First world problems, man. I know. First world problems. <laughs> well, like the drink tasting stuff is still still included in the VIP, so I mean, like, you can get all yeah. the drinks you want, which was nice. Yeah. So yeah, it's like no, you don't want to leave the VIP tent area. <laughs> no, they've got you pretty taken care of there. Yeah. Um, well, I can. Plus, tell- you don't want to. Plus, you don't want to be with all the little people. <laughs> I know. First world problems. <laughs> first, first food <laughs> well, problems. I can I can tell you um, that it was not fun driving around Pont City Market on Saturday. The traffic was insane and it was so far backed up into our parking garage because um, getting out right there was such a pain. Like our exit is right in front of the the park or where, you know, the the Uber and Lyft drop off was for the park. So that was challenging. But uh, we actually headed over to 
the Halloween parade in Little Five. At uh, that started at four, and we got got there about two, and then walked with the the box hero group over there, and um, it was pretty hot for. A late October parade, but uh, we had a really great turnout. I posted some of the videos up on um, on social media from it, and it was the turnout was crazy. I hadn't actually. I think I'd been one year, like maybe five or eight years ago. Um, but it's it's a really cool event, and if you didn't check it out this year, definitely check it out next year because it's. Um, I don't feel like those two events should be on the same weekend. They need to be on no, separate yeah. weekends. There was a lot going on this weekend. There was, and there's even more going on this weekend. Um, hmm. What's, this got... weekend? <laughs> What's this weekend? What's this weekend? <laughs> um, well, this weekend's going to be Walker Stalker Con Atlanta, which uh, will be our fifth year anniversary of the event. It's hard to believe it's been five years. I was actually the MC. Years? Yeah, I was the, the MC at the very first one, which was uh, 2013 was our, our first event. And uh, this is our fifth Atlanta event, so it's uh, it's come quite a quite a long ways. And it's yeah. uh, actually tonight they're having a screening of a documentary that they kick they funded via Kickstarter, um, a screening of that for the whole um, the whole staff, and then I think some press. And I wouldn't be surprised if some cash showed up there as well. So it's going to be cool to see. I mean, I hope I'm in it. I bet I'm not in it, but I hope I would I'm imagine in it. you'd be in it. I want to see like myself in the background. Did they not like interview you or anything for it or? They did. Um, It's just like it, it, they filmed stuff. They filmed so much stuff over um, like the, they started filming in like 2014. Um, Mm -hmm. They interviewed me in October of 2014 for it. And it's just, um, they just have so much footage. So unless this is like a seven hour movie, I would be. (laughs) Maybe it I'd is. I'd be surprised, Maybe but we'll see. Um, but I'll let you guys know how that is uh, yeah. next week. I, believe, I do want to talk. I up- believe they're screening it at the convention too, aren't they? I remember they are. looking at the schedule and they had it. Yeah, I'm not sure the the time, but I know they are going to show it um, at some point uh, during the weekend. So definitely check that out if you're around this weekend. And we're going to have a really great turnout and all of the the guests that are coming. It's whether you're a huge Walking Dead fan or not, there's something there for everyone. Um, Bruce Campbell's gonna be there. Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys is my first <laughs> interview tomorrow, which I still think is hilarious. That is awesome. Um, we have a bunch of cast members from Lost and um, Sons of Anarchy. and um, So, you know, it's not just a, a Walking Dead event. So if you're looking for something cool to do this weekend, definitely check it out and come experience what the the madness of a of a con is um it's really well organized and it's um kind of less overwhelming than something like dragon con um so it's it's a i think a, it's more about the the fandoms where i think dragon con is more about the party yeah. <laughs> but um so so come check it out um on that note well, well, all three of us will be there we will yeah. we will the atlas podcast will be represented mm-hmm. um but I also want to talk about The Walking Dead because that came back on uh, last Sunday night and it is finally finally back for season eight. So we'll yeah. probably be talking about it a little every week for, for for a few weeks to come. Sorry, Mike. So were, were there zombies? There were zombies. There were zombies. Yep. There Mike still hasn't watched it. <laughs> there were a lot of zombies. There were quite a bit of zombies. Um, yeah. What do you, you think of the premiere, Matt? I liked it. 
I thought it was good, and I will, you know, be admit I am a little bit biased since I do work on the show. So just to put put that out there, you know, FCC guidelines or whatever. Gotta admit, but um, <laughs> but it's no, very responsible I, of you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I I I enjoyed it. You know, I thought it was it was a solid first episode for the season. Um, I definitely think things are def gonna ramp up from here on out with the whole all out war theme. Right. Um, I was I was definitely caught off guard by the whole. It did feel very lost with because they got multiple timelines going on in the first episode. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where where they go with this. It will be. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk after the premiere because the the premiere the ratings were a little bit lower than they have been um, for previous seasons and previous episodes. But I think in comparison. I mean, the season premiere of last year was probably like the most watched yeah. episodic, like anything on just on television. because of such of the huge the build up, yeah, the build up and yeah. the twist and the you know, the you know the who done it theme of it. So there really exactly. wasn't there there was no cliffhanger or big cliffhanger for from last year. So. Yeah, it's going to be less. And I think people's yeah. watching habits are changing. Like, you know, that was only live that they counted. And I think every year, more and more people stream the show. You know, they DVR it and stuff like that. So, Yeah, it's... I, in fact, I think Walking Dead is probably the only show right now that I watch live. Like, I'm watching, you know, The Good Doctor and This Is Us and Mr. Robot. And every single thing I'm recording just because, you know, we either have screenings or... I'm falling asleep on the couch on my laptop at like nine. Um, so, I mean, that's a great point. Like habits are changing and people really, you know, rather binge shows than watch them live and, you know, watch them on their own timetable. So I don't think it's really fair to make the comparisons of like the ratings not being the same. Like, yes, they are less, but we had a completely different storyline that was way more uh, cliffhanger situation. Um but then you're right, too, that people's viewing habits are changing. And on that note, I want to talk about what happens tonight at midnight. Or actually, I think it's going to be like 3 a.m. our time. I'm not sure if it's going to be midnight our time. I should probably check that out. By the time you guys hear this tomorrow, it will be out. <laughs> but Stranger Things Season 2 hits, hits Netflix tonight. And um, I'm pretty freaking excited about it. Ooh, yeah, oh, yeah. Stranger Things is going to be so are, so are you staying up tonight? No. Um, <laughs> no. We've you, got a, Did you watch any of it? Cuz we know you have the episodes already. I have not watched any of it. Um it's just it's been a crazy week with yeah. getting ready for the convention and then we have, you know, the the documentary premiere tonight and then we have our our um, staff party are it's the last time we're gonna have all of the staff together for the year because our our next show is a heroes and villains and then it's uh, uh we have another heroes and villains and then a walker stalker after that so with atlanta being as big as it is it's the last time we'll have everyone together for the year so we're actually doing our holiday party tonight um and doing like our our uh, secret santa gift cha- exchange or white elephant or whatever they they call that game um 
So we're doing that tonight, and I imagine that by the time I get home and having to get up early to get to the convention tomorrow, I will probably be asleep. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it all on Sunday. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up my puppy. You and Fozzie. <laughs> Me and Fozzie, me and Fozzie and Doug are just gonna, we're gonna come back here, we're gonna order some pizza, um, hopefully no one's gonna, gonna pee in the apartment, because we've got to potty train this puppy, um, and then watch Stranger Things, so the reviews so far seem really good, yeah. so hopefully it'll, it'll hold up to, to season, to season one. I do have some, you know, in the in the theme or in the the tradition that we have started of doing fun facts, I have some Stranger Things fun facts for you guys. Some strange facts. Some strange facts. Actually, this first one, um, it's funny because we talked about this a little bit when the show premiered. It was kind of amazing that the the series creators Matt and Ross Duffer didn't really have, you know, a whole lot of success behind them. So for pitching a show like this to Netflix. And it actually getting picked up, it was it seemed like a huge like risk and like they were incredibly lucky for getting this opportunity. Um, but it was actually rejected 15 times before Netflix approved it. Um, in an interview with Rolling Stone, creators Matt and Ross Duffer estimated that the show was rejected 15 to 20 times by various networks before finally landing at Netflix. Apparently, network executives couldn't wrap their minds around a show that featured kids as leads that wasn't actually a children's show. The Duffers were told that they'd have to choose one or another. You've either got to make it into a kid's show or you've got to make this Hopper detective character investigating paranormal activity around town the main character. It was what one network executive told them. Matt recalls replying, we lose everything interesting about the show if we do that. Yeah. I'm sure those network execs are kicking themselves now. Yeah. yeah I wonder if some, pe- some, some executives lost their jobs over that. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. It was, I mean, Stranger Things was kind of really the the first show. I mean, it combined a lot of a lot of feels and a lot of different uh, types of things from the '80s. You know, you had the Poltergeist kind of vibe and the Stand by Me and the Goonies, and um, I, I feel like a lot of people at network television just don't get the idea of doing something new. They need it to be, okay, well, it's Big Bang Theory meets this, or it has to be two successful shows meet each other equals this, or it has to be, you know, something that's very formulaic, already proven to be successful yeah. with, like, one slight change. Um, and that's not how you get good TV. No. So... Um, the cast actually auditioned using scenes from an 80s classic. According to Entertainment Weekly, the Duffers, along with the casting director, auditioned 906 boys and 307 girls for the roles in the series. As a part of their audition, the kids read select scenes from the pilot episode as well as scenes from Stand By Me. The finalists were flown to L.A. to read together and test for chemistry before the cast was officially set. Jeez. Yeah, that must that's be a so, lot. That's, that sounds so intense. And for kids, it does. good lord. That's, I would the be... unsung, that's the unsung uh, hero of a lot of movies and TV shows is casting director. You know, if you look back at like something like Harry Potter, where they were casting for kids that were going to be in their teens or actually all the way to adults by the time the series finished. And they had to be, make sure they picked the right ones. Yeah. And they did a great job as far as Harry Potter. And I'm always amazed, like old TV shows. Looking back at old TV shows, and um, uh, what's the what's the show that we all love uh, that was only on for one season? Um, the with, event with um, 
Not the event. I'm sorry. No, the teenagers. No, no, no. Not the teenagers. Oh, it's got your your favorite your favorite actor um, from from uh, uh, Jason Segel. Yeah. Oh, Freaks and Geeks. Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. Oh, I've never even seen. Look at that cast and how strong that cast is. How almost everybody that was in that cast, as far as the kids, has gone on to have a very successful, sometimes even superstar career. Um, yeah. So if casting directors are incredibly important in, in television and in movies, too. Yeah. Uh, freaks and geeks, I really hope. You know, I, I talked um, a while back with one of the producers that worked on that show, and they, they really want to come back and do something uh, you know, as uh, as far as you know, like they've done with like Gilmore Girls on Netflix, or see if they can revive the series to some ha- to some degree, even if it's just a, a limited series. But you're right. I mean, it, it, the casting is so incredibly important, and you look at, I mean, Millie Bobby Brown's career is made out of this now, and I rem- I still remember sitting on set with her, and it was just me and her, and. I was I just remember looking at her and being like, you're the next Emma Watson. Like that was what was going through my head because she was so well spoken and so like proper, but like fun and cute and sweet. And um, and even, you know, uh, Shannon Purser, who is actually I think she's from Georgia. Yeah, um, I think she's from Georgia. This was her first acting role as you know, she was Barb in season one and she she looks nothing like if you if you follow her on social media, she really looks nothing like Barb. Um, so I kind of wonder what the audition process was like for her because she's you know made up to look like this kind of very nerdy '80s chick, and she's stunning in person. Like she's absolutely stunning. Um, so even being able to see stuff like that, um, I mean, I guess you can make anyone look nerdy with the the right get up but uh they did such a great job with her to where when you see her and what she actually looks like in real life you're like oh my god she's she's so freaking beautiful um all right back to our fun facts um the directors also told millie that they wanted her performance to resemble et which i can kind of see i can see that I mean, they did, yeah. they did that whole bicycle scene, too, in the first season. Yeah, that, that's, they did. That's the, in fact, I, I meant to bring that up. E.T.'s the one that I really identify with with, uh, with, with Stranger Things. Yeah. They both seem very, very similar um, in, in their focus on the kids and how the kids are the ones that save the day, not the adults. And in fact, the adults are actually, a lot of times, in both that movie and in Stranger Things, are actually uh, getting in the way. Right. All right. Um, <laughs> I like this one. Hopper's trailer reportedly only cost the art department $1 to buy. $1. Any? <laughs> do they give any reason why? Nope. That, no reason why. Like, so that's buck. all I got. One buck. <laughs> like it's not haunted. It doesn't, doesn't smell. Or... It's, there's, there's a story behind that. We will find out one day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the Duffer brothers actually have a 30 page document that maps out what the upside down is and the nature of the monster, um, which is really cool. They're going to be revealing more of that document in season two, um, but they wanted to keep it. Um, they're still keeping it from the point of view of our orig- of the original character. So it's not going to be just laid out for us. It's probably going to be we're going to learn it as the characters learn it. But um, in a recent interview with Variety, Ross Duffer revealed 
um, that there's actually this this document that exists about the upside down outlining what it means, where the monster actually came from, and why there aren't more monsters. The brothers didn't get the chance to explore all the elements of that document in season one, but will continue to explore it in season two. That's cool. I'm glad that they're kind of keeping things close and secret and not basically putting everything out there. Because they could have easily, like, once season one came out and how big it was, they could have easily, like, milked it and basically, like, oh, here's this whole book about, you know, the upside down and all that, blah, 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 but... Yeah. And I hope I hope they don't. Well, okay. so I agree with what you're saying. But part of me also hopes that they keep some of it from us and then put it in a book like that at some point. I I definitely want a book like a collector's book kind of encyclopedia thing about it at some point. Definitely. That'll be cool. Um, Well, that premieres uh, by the time this podcast is out. Season two will be up. So uh, we'll definitely be talking about that next week and what we thought as far as how it held up in comparison to season one. So can't wait. So how much how many episodes are you going to try to watch over the over the week? I'm going to try to watch. I'm I will have seen all of them by the time we record next week. Uh, I'll see how many I can fit in on Sunday before I fall asleep. Um, are you are you watching it this weekend, both of you? I'm gonna try when I can find time to between um, writing stuff and Walker Stalker Con. It's yeah. gonna be tough. But, it's gonna um, be a busy weekend. Yeah, I am definitely. Luckily, I, I I'm gonna try also. I mean, I'm not. I I don't like binge watching, um, so that's really hard for me to do more than like three episodes in a row. Um, I just I I like something. It's like going to a film festival and seeing this you know the same drama over and over. Uh, I like a little little break in between and see something else. Like I, I always like to go see like a documentary to give me the break from all the dramas that, that I see you know, when I'm at a film fest. So I don't I won't, I probably won't finish it. Also I've got you know me I watch too much anyway, both television and movies. Although next week it's not going to be as bad as this week was. You do watch a lot. Um, so yeah, let's on that note, let's dive into what we what we have watched this last week um, with our box office report. Um, not a surprise to anyone. Tyler Perry's Boo 2, a Medea Halloween, uh, landed in first with $21.2 million. Uh, Geostorm was a Massive disaster, as we expected, with a $13.7 million on a $120 production budget. Happy Death Day uh, came in at, thir- at three with $9.3 million. Blade Runner 2049 fell to fourth with $7.3 million, and Only the Brave opened in fifth with $6 million. So not really any surprises there, although I feel like you guys thought Only the Brave was going to be in third. Uh, no, I, um, what did I have? Um, no, I thought, I thought, uh, um, I thought number two would be, uh, Happy Death Day. Um, I did think only the Brave would come in like four or fifth. Okay. Uh, so it, it didn't do as well as I thought it would do. Um, so yeah, it would, it certainly didn't do as well as, as we thought it was going to do, so. Uh, that one had a production budget of $38 million, so opening with $6 million, not a great opening. 
Um, yeah, I, I thought I thought it would do. Uh, I thought it would do uh, like probably. I thought things got thought like eight million. Yeah. And so that it really didn't perform very well at all. And it's too, it's too bad because it's a nice old fashioned adventure film. Um, I liked it. I mean, we we all liked it. I I wonder if it was partially the time of year too, because right now people do want to see, you know, horror films. Like, well, it's... and also also a great deal of country is experiencing forest fires, so it's not exactly a film you want to go see if you're experiencing right. the homeless, because you know you want to get away from that. That's um, true. I think I think that that hurt them. I think because the news has been so heavy on the forest fires out west that. Um, this, this probably hurt them. I wonder if they thought that it would affect them in the opposite way, like because there has been so much news coverage that maybe people in areas of the country that weren't experiencing that would be more inclined to go see something like this to learn about how, you know, teams actually try to fight them, fight these fires. Um, but well, it's, it's, And also it could, you know, it's also the lack of stars. I mean, Miles Teller and Josh Berlin are, while they're both, I think, excellent actors they're not like especially Big Miles Teller who's right now trying to give interviews and trying to uh, kind of rehab his image um, which he's still not doing a very good job of um, but I, it, I that's the other thing it just didn't have a big name right right well um, no surprise with Tyler Perry's movie coming in first we, we all expected that um, especially after the rain that the first movie had last year it was in like first for multiple weeks last year um, and it could be again this weekend yeah there's not really I mean we have a couple of things coming out you don't think there's anything that's you don't think not Suburbicon or no I don't think Suburbicon because uh, it's already getting very bad word of mouth um, no, I, Jigsaw is the one that because it's in a horror movie and because it's Halloween weekend, I think Jigsaw could, could beat Tyler Perry's boo, but if it does, it will beat it barely. So Tyler Perry's um, boo could, boo too, could actually come in first. Um, We're also going to see a resurgence for it because they're adding 2,500 more theaters for the Halloween weekend. Yeah, um. but I, you know, it, it's already, it's, it's already down um, from last week. Um, I think it's down like how many? How much was it down on the weekend? Forty-three percent down. Yeah, forty-three percent. So yeah. I think it's, uh, it's. I think everybody that wanted to see it is. I don't think it's going to be much of a factor. I mean, it'll still be probably in the top ten, but um, I. It's probably only going to do like two million. Um, I think people, if they want to go see a horror film, they'll go see a new one like Jigsaw. Right. Well, um, so is that y'all's prediction for next week? Tyler Perry staying in first with Jigsaw coming in second? I think it's going to be just be, either one could be in first. I think it will both be around $12 million. Fair enough. Well, on that note, um, let's move into our film reviews we have for this week. We have Thank You for Your Service and Suburbicon. Um, let's start with Thank You for Your Service since that was actually Georgia filmed. And I'm excited to hear what you guys thought of that. Um, Mike, you want to set that one up? Yeah. Um, so basically, this is um, uh, a film about uh, three soldiers that come back home after serving in the Iraq War. And all three are in the process of being discharged. And they come back to various um, 
various families, um, and they all um, are basically struggling with integrating back into civilian life. Um, they're both hurt um, mentally and also, uh, in some cases, physically. Um, and uh, it's about them and their families and the ramifications of, of having such young men serve in such a, a brutal war. Um, so that's what it's about. Cool. I mean, it's based um, on a true story, too. They're all real people. Yeah, that's right. It is based on a true story. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. Uh, I do have a fun fact. Oh, go for it. Well, Amy Schumer is in the film. She plays uh, a widow of, that was one of the, their uh, the, the three men that come home. Is he was in their uh, squad, and she do- donated her salary from the film to the Army War Veterans Foundation. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, so I, thought, I thought that was cool. That is cool, but that was my only fun fact I had for this movie, and you just took <laughs> a, took it away from me. So that makes me feel bad now because yeah, because <laughs> no, I was going to no criticize facts. Amy Schumer. <laughs> I was like, why is she in this movie? But it does now seem I can't like say a, anything because she she's just too nice of a person. It's a weird fit. I mean, that's what you do when you you want to keep yourself from getting typecast into a certain True. type of role. You you go and you do other types of roles. But uh, all right, well let's let's save that for for in the review and and get started with on a scale of one to five. How bored were you guys? I would give it a two on the boredom factor. Um, the movie does run a little bit long. For me, it's uh, 108 minutes long, but it it does feel a little bit longer, and um, you know, it's it's definitely one of those films that you have to sit there and watch and pay attention to because you know these three guys who go through so much, like so much of their performances are in their emotions and you know in what you are seeing them react to on screen and so like it is kind of a hard watch at times yeah i'd give it a two also um you do have to watch it very closely because a lot of the emotional baggage that they have they're not sharing with their families um and they're kind of holding it inside and the only time they actually and it, it, a lot of times they can't even confess to their their fellow um uh, soldier um, because it's just they feel like they've got to be this stoic person um, and hold it all in and they're, they're they don't know how to deal with it right uh, well on a scale of one to five were you guys rolling your eyes at all or where did that land for you um i would say like one maybe i mean like it's, this is not an eye-rolling movie it's a very serious drama that deals with you know it's a war movie that's after the war where there you're not seeing the combat and stuff you're seeing the aftermath of it all and so like there is no eye rolling in this yeah i agree there's there's not it's a very it's a very very earnest uh attempt to um shed light on the damages that war uh, inflicts on the soldiers and and how the the system um, is not set up to to help them, especially immediately, 
Um, the red tape they have to go through is just amazing and all the lines they have to just to try even when they the soldiers realize that they need help um, they can't they can't find it they can't get it because the government is just so slow at responding uh, to their to you know shouts of help right right well, before we, we dive into the uh, the best and worst performance for this, I have to ask, um, Matt, was there any point during this film in which Mike thought he was watching Jennifer Lawrence on the screen? <laughs> it's funny because he actually mentioned that afterwards about how he confuses um, Haley Bennett for Jennifer Lawrence. So I'm sure there Jennifer was. Lawrence. I'm sure there was a She's... point. Mike, what was the point? Mm-hmm. No, there was not. I, I, because I went. I know who this is. <laughs> She's Jennifer Lawrence Light. <laughs> she, I mean, she looks a lot like they they need to play sisters at some point, and I'm sure they will. But I, I love like giving Mike crap about that because I think it was was it the girl on the train? Is that what it was? I that think she was. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. It, we uh we all got out of the the screening and there's a there's a nude scene in it with with Haley and Mike goes I can't believe Jennifer Lawrence did that <laughs> and I was just like that wasn't Jennifer Lawrence Mike <laughs> yeah. just like that uh, wasn't wonder that we saw last night oh my god yeah you guys you guys can give me crap for that later that's totally fair and we'll explain that story <laughs> um. All right, but staying on point for for the moment, um, for for best and worst performance in this one, uh, what would you give it, or who would you give yeah, it man, to? Rather, you can pick for your worst performance now. Well, I kinda, I'm I'm still going with um, with uh, Amy Schumer because she just she just felt so out of place, and like it's, she's not in it for that long. So I mean, it's not it wasn't that big. I mean, most of the performances in here I think are actually pretty good. Um, but as far as best goes, I'm giving it to, I'm going to pull an Emma here probably. Um, be, let's see. Belua? Bela? Bela? Coate? Solo? What? Are you, to the, he played Solo? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have no idea how to say his name, yep. so good luck. Yeah. Sure. That sounds right. Koala. Koala? Koala? I don't know. Cola? I would say cola. I'm gonna, go, like, I'm gonna give it to the guy who played Solo. <laughs> so um, I thought he was great in it because most of him is is in his eyes um, and just him, you know, holding back everything. That's kind of like you can tell that everything is just right on the brink of, you know, he's just on the brink of falling apart. And he's just holding it back, you know, for his family. And, like, he has these outbursts at times. And it's just his performance felt the most real to me out of all the cast. So I'm giving it to him. And apologies for butchering your name. (laughs) What about you, Mike? Um, I don't know. I'm a big Miles Teller fan. Um so I would probably get Miles Teller, but I will say this: um, Jennifer Lawrence' life was was actually pretty good in this film. <laughs> I, I I liked her a lot in this film. Um, I thought she had nice chemistry with with uh, with Miles Teller, and uh, you know she had a really hard part to play because she's she you know that's it's hard to make that part sympathetic because she's trying to 
pull the war out of her husband to, to let her understand what he went through. And, and he basically has a hard time opening up about it. And, you know, it's real easy to turn that part into somebody that, that then just gets mad and it's harsh. And, and I thought she did a real good job as a supportive wife who keeps trying to reach her husband, keeps trying to, um, uh, to, to find some sort of point where she can relate to him. Right. Uh, well, on the uh, Georgia recognition factor, where did this one land? I mean, it was it was filmed here. Did you guys recognize any any locations? Um, there's nothing like truly recognizable, I would say. Um, there's a bunch of like little convenience stores and some buildings and some streets that I recognized. I know, like, there's nothing that stands out being like, oh, that's Georgia. Um. They do actually film. They filmed on Emory's campus um, for one of the the doctors that he goes to. There's like a scene outside of Emory's campus that I recognized. Um, and then like I first, I actually didn't know that it was actually filmed here until I actually saw a couple of my friends on screen in the background. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I know them. I know that person. And it's like, oh, I guess it was filmed here. And then I started seeing some Georgia places. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I re- yeah, I recognize it. I mean, I, 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 it's one of those things where you go, I, I know I've seen that, but I don't know where. Yeah. Um, so that's that, that was my, my thing is I knew that it was filmed in Georgia, but I just didn't know, you know, nothing stood out to me as far as a building or something. Gotcha. Well, overall, on the scale of one to five on the official Atlas scale, where did this one land for you guys? I would give it a... ATL with a little a so three and a half um okay it's a solid solid um you know war movie that um I feel it definitely addresses some of the issues with the government and how veterans are received when they come back home from war um it could have been a little bit stronger you know um basically everybody gets discharged from the military they're all sent home these group of guys are sent home because of one uh, one incident that left one of their fellow soldiers dead and they don't show that incident until the very end and so i felt it would have been stronger had they shown it at the beginning they show a different incident at the beginning and that kind of ties it all together but by leaving everything to the end, I kind of felt it lost some of its impact that it could have had. Yeah, I um, I have a problem with it because I never got the emotional, you know, impact, emotional punch that that, that this film needs. Um, I also kind of felt like it was, I, it had a been there, done that feel to it uh, because mostly because the writer director Jason Hall wrote the Clint Eastwood directed American Sniper which also deals with the soldier trying to cope with what he's been through. And um, so I just kind of felt like we've already delved into it. I mean, I, I understand that this is something that's really important, that it, especially the fact that we're not getting veterans the help they need. And there's so many veterans that are committing suicide, especially young veterans that have come back from, from you know, the Middle East and, and from uh, Middle East, but from Iraq and, and Afghanistan and um um, you know, it's just so important. And 
uh, one of the cool things that this movie did was um, I, it was a hundred thousand tickets um, on Thursday night. That if you were in the service, whether you were a retired vet or if you're you're in the service currently, you could get a free ticket to see this movie. Um, so it's it's an important film. I just didn't never got the emotional punch for it. I would give it, I would give it like a two point five. Gotcha. Well, um, so that one is out this this Friday for people to check out. And also out this Friday is our next film, Suburbicon. Uh, Matt, do you want to set that one up? Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mike's laughing because you, he Did knows. you guys hate this? So, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, we are going to get into spoiler territory, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. But I feel it needs to be said. Because Suburbicon is not like the trailers make it out to be. Okay. Trailers make it out to be this dark comedy where basically Matt Damon and his family, they live in this, in Suburbicon, which is this, you know, this all fancy, you know, nothing ever goes wrong, Pleasantville type community in the 60s. And, um, you know, Matt Damon, you know, he's in debt to the mob and basically they kill his wife. And so you think it's going to be okay him going on kind of this revenge path to protect his son. That's that's only half the story of the film. The other half is that there is this black community or this black family who is basically going to be the first black family in Suburbicon. So they're the first black family to move into this all white neighborhood and this is in the 60s. And so the entire neighborhood basically riots. They don't. They don't like it at all. They're. They're like, oh my god, this this black family is moving into our peaceful neighborhood. They're going to cause trouble. And so the other half of the movie deals, well, attempts to deal with that. And you know, like they're basically picketing outside their house. They're saying, oh, you can't come into our store. You can't shop into our stores. And they're basically, you know doing all these things to drive this black family out. And so, yeah, that's the movie. And none of the trailers and none of the marketing material actually show, you know, that other aspect of it. You just think it's, oh, this is going to be this dark comedy with Matt Damon going, fighting against the mob, when it's definitely not that. Not at all. It it tries to do this um, racial commentary about it, saying like, oh... Here's this peaceful black family, but in reality, it's it's this other family. It's the white family that is the one that is, you know, going around murdering people and all that stuff. So it's trying to create that dynamic, but it it's it's a mess, <laughs> to say the least. It's um so there's a lot of things yeah. that confuse me about this already. The fact that they would market it differently than it actually is. Um, maybe they they thought it wouldn't like not not as many people would go to see it. Maybe if they knew that it was well, more controversial. Like, what do you think the thought I process mean, was well, there? Like, they could be trying to do like a whole gotcha thing, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, this is what you thought it was. Nope, here's. Here's this other thing. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to do. Okay, so here, here's one of the things about this film. It's actually two scripts that were combined. 
So the, the, the Matt Damon part of the film, that storyline, that was written by the Coen brothers. Right. And, you know, they're known for doing dark comedy. They're known for doing bizarre characters. Um, but the other portion, which is the, the racial neighborhood, and is, was written by George Clooney and, and Grant Heslock, um, who wanted to put this other story in to, you know, make it a statement about, uh, you know, racial intolerance. And um, it just the two stories are so different in tone that it pulls the whole film down. I mean, it just it makes it a sloppy mess. And the, the problem with this film is it's not funny enough to be a black common and it's not smart enough to be a satire. Yeah. And, and it just doesn't work. It really doesn't work. Well, um, this is the first time that George Clooney has directed a, a Coen Brothers script. I guess that makes sense if he wrote the other half of the movie. Um, I'm just, I have fun facts, by the way. I'm just going <laughs> to sprinkle, sprinkle them in here. Um, I guess Woody, Woody Harrelson was actually going to be a part of this, too, and he dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. Um, this is a weird one. The film was originally scheduled to open November 3rd, but Paramount moved it forward to October 27th. Um, maybe it's some sort of budget or scheduling issue. I, I wouldn't. No, think November third is Thor. Oh, that's probably, okay. Well, yeah. then that's probably it's, it's, a smart decision. Almost <laughs> never mind. Opening. Yeah, there's almost nothing opening there. Even independent films here in Atlanta, there's almost nothing opening next week. Yeah. You, okay, you that can't makes. I didn't. With the God of Thunder. You can't. You can't. I I uh, didn't put two and two together there, so that's a valid point. Um. Well, interesting. Um, well, I guess uh, now that we've we've had this conversation, let's t- dive into the review of this movie you guys think so highly of. Um, on a scale of one to five, how bored were you guys during this one? I don't know if I was bored. More so along the line of a little confused, especially at first, because it does catch you off guard because you really, it is completely opposite of what you're expecting. And, um, and it just doesn't, it doesn't, like Mike said, it doesn't do it well. It doesn't do either, either story well. So you're just like, ugh. So I would probably give it a three and a half. Yeah, I was, I was bored in this film, uh, especially, uh, the whole, uh, the, 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 if it had stayed with the Coen brothers, I probably would have been much happier with this film. But I was bored every time we went back to the black family because it just they just escalate um, on what they're doing first. At first, when the family moves in, it's just a lot of staring at at the at their neighbors, and then it's openly staring at the neighbors, like literally parking outside their house and staring them down. And then from there, it becomes harassment where they start. Well, the first thing they do also is they build a fence to where their neighbors don't have to look at them. Their next door neighbors don't have to even look at them. But I was bored every time we went to that storyline because you knew what was going to happen. Uh, it didn't make sense why it was in the film. The only the only connection is that um, there's a young boy in the black family, and he connects with the young boy that's in the that's in Matt Damon's family. Gotcha. Uh, well, on a scale of one to five, I, it sounds like you guys were probably rolling your eyes a, a fair amount between between the two stories. Um. Yeah, 
I mean, it wasn't it wasn't really eye rolling. I mean, I was eye rolling more at um, Julianne Moore's character, just because of how out of place she felt, and I thought her acting was really weird. Like she was overly happy about everything, and I know she was probably going for that Pleasantville vibe, but it felt really overdone to me, and so I was rolling eye rolling myself at her, at her a lot. Um, yeah, I'd probably give it another three and a half for eye rolling. Yeah, I'd give it a three. Um, like I said, it wasn't funny enough to be a black comedy, so a lot of the stuff that should have been funny that wasn't, I was rolling my eyes at that. Um, it's sad that one of the funniest things in the film is in the trailer, which is Matt Damon um, basically uh, uh, is riding a bike um, and uh, his car blows up that, that, and he's just riding away from the on this, this bike that's obviously his kid's bike. Um, so, but I was in the trailer, so even I didn't even give a chuckle out of that. Uh, well, worst uh, and best performance in this one. What stood out to you guys? Oscar Isaac is definitely the best performance. Um, he basically plays an insurance um, adjuster or auditor and who basically is investigating Matt Damon's family, and he is, he's really good um, in his role as brief as it may be. But um, but even then, I don't think that's enough to save the entire film. Yeah, the, uh, Oscar Isaac is the best thing in this film, and he breathes life into the, into the movie when he appears as an insurance investigator. But as soon as it leaves, uh, the film goes back down quickly. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I guess... I agree with Matt on on um, Julianne Moore. Uh, yeah, Julianne Moore. Um, it's a it's a very strange role um, that she plays because first off, she's playing twins, um, and the the main character she plays actually is um, Matt Damon's sister in law. Um, and they cut when when because it's in the trailer when when the. When the wife, when Matt Damon's wife is killed by the mob, then she comes to live with them to take care of the family. Um, and she's definitely, I mean, she, it's it's a very strange role. And um, I, I don't know whether she knew what to do with this role. I, I mean, she's a really good actress, but she looks very uncomfortable in the role. Fair enough. Um, this one was not filmed in Georgia, so we don't have any any local recognition factor. I'm actually looking for where it was filmed, Los Angeles. Um, so on a scale of one to five, where does this one land for you guys? I'd give it an AT. Two. Oh, ouch. Okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, there are the undertones of a good film. Like, I think on its own, either one of these stories could have been good. But by just meshing them together and not really paying heed to either one of them it just ruins the movie as a whole I think like I could see what they were trying to do with it but they just they just don't succeed at all yeah I give it a I give it a an A with a little T um, it just it's it's just it's not <laughs> a great it's not a very good film it really isn't it's a very disappointing film you know I was I'm always excited when I when I see the word, you know, the Coen brothers have, have done something, and I was excited about this film, and 
it was, and I didn't come in with with high expectations because um, it was not. I knew that it was a co-author script, so but I was hoping that it was just a rework of a Coen Brothers script instead of two different. You know, one that was Coen Brothers and one that was Clooney and, and another guy. So, well, um, their press kit was super cute. <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> it's a cute little lunchbox that had some some stuff in it. Um, well, all right, cool. So that one's out this weekend too. If you uh, want to go see that one for for some reason, I guess um, doesn't doesn't sound like you guys recommend it. <laughs> no, um, there are a couple. I do have a couple of recommendations of smaller films. One's a documentary okay. called Seventy Eight Fifty Two, and it's about the Alfred Hitchcock psycho shower scene. And it represents there were 78, um, 78 cuts um, in that shower scene and 52 uh, setups. And um, um, it's a really, if you're a fan of Hitchcock, I highly recommend it. It's a really fascinating film. And people like uh, Guillermo del Toro is interviewed about it. Um, they interview directors, they interview writers, um, uh, sound people. I mean, it's just a, a really cool. If you love the, the film Psycho, um, it's a really cool documentary. And the second one is a small film that I saw at uh, South by Southwest called Barracuda. Um, and it's about a young woman who comes to Texas and meets her half-sister. And then uh, the, the family is part of a musical legacy. The, the, the father of the two sisters um, was a music legend. Um, think somebody like Johnny Cash or Willie Nelson in, in the country field. Um, Allison Tolman is in it, um, which I love from Fargo, and uh, a newcomer, uh, Sophie Reed, is just amazing in it as this woman that's got a lot of problems. She, she literally hitchhikes into town and uh, takes over her basically her sister's family. Um, it's a fascinating film, and it's got some really good music in it also, and it was shot in Austin, Texas. And it and it no it gets the Austin feel. It really does. It's a, it's a really good film. Cool. Um, well, you guys can check those out if you want. Um, next week we're going to be talking about Thor and Wonderstruck. Not Wonder, mm-hmm. in case you <laughs> are getting confused about it, like I I did last night when we saw the screening. Um, uh, we'll have those two reviews for you guys next week, um, along with our thoughts on Stranger Things and the awesomeness that happened this weekend at uh, Walker Stalker Con, and hopefully an update on the newest addition to My Little World, a little golden doodle puppy named Fozzie will be here, and hopefully will be quiet we, during our recording we need session. To, no, no, week. no. We, we need to have Fozzie guest star. <laughs> we need to have a She's probably going to try guest. to eat the mic or something. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Well... We'll uh, we'll see how it goes. I'll I'll probably have her in my lap um, next next week when I record. Um, but this um, Saturday night, I'm also going to a cool event that I'll be talking about next week as well. Um, they've opened the Atlanta Gallery Collective at Pont City Market, or they will be. Um, I'm going to their their presentation on Saturday night for. Um, I guess the installation that's in there now is called Raw. I'm not sure when it opens to the public, um, but I assume it will probably be within the next week or so after after this preview. So I'll have details for you guys on that next week as well. Um, but I think that's all we've got for this week. You oh, guys just, got anything Just else? that? 
That's it? Just that. Just that. <laughs> That's We had a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, cool. And um, maybe I can try to snag one of my interviews, too, from Walker Stalker Con so we can find out what Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys is up to or, you know. <laughs> one, one of the other ones. I just, I still think it's so funny that he's coming. Um, anywho, all that being said, um, thank you guys for listening. Again, this is the Atlas Podcast, and my name is Emma Loggins, editor in chief at fanbolt.com. I'm Matt Rodriguez, the owner and chief editor of shakefire.com. And I'm Mike McKinney with last one to leave the and ATLCW.tv. And I know the difference between Jennifer Lawrence and Haley Bay. No, you don't. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>